0: How many of you know that it seems like in life the moments of greatest conflict usually are the result of something that really doesn't matter a day later or a week later or five minutes later, right? Think to the moments of conflict that you've had at home, work, friends, football team. You look back and you say, man, that was kind of dumb, right? Like, Why do we argue over that? But yet it seems like there is something that continually causes heartburn and leads to conflict. You know, I'm blessed that Courtney and I, we, we don't, you know, in our marriage, we've been married almost 14 years, which is beautiful. I love that. And thankfully, we haven't had too many, you know, drag out battles over the years. But really, our, our first one, she reminded me of a couple of weeks ago, happened when we were dating before we even got married. And it was interesting. She had some friends who were in town for a concert, and we were going to go to church the next morning. So I went over in time to have breakfast before church, and she decided she wanted to make biscuits and gravy. Some of you guys are like, did your first fight happen over biscuits and gravy? Yes, (laughs) it did. See, you know, she likes to make her biscuits and gravy nice and slow. Anybody else like that? You just let it take its time. I'm like a speed guy. I want to get places on time, right? I want to cram as much as I can into a window, And so I might have walked in and just poured a bunch of milk on top of the sausage gravy that was cooking. And if you guys know what that does, it messes the whole thing up. let's just say there was an explosion that happened after that and it wasn't on the oven. And uh, let's just say I went to church by myself that day, right? I I was solo. Biscuits and gravy, come on. But yet it stands out as the greatest tiff we've ever had. How about you? Um, can you think back to a fight maybe you've had with a friend, a roommate you guys had with your sister or brother growing up? Was it over something super substantial? Probably not. It's probably over something that just doesn't matter that much in the end. I read a story this week about the Ashanti kingdom in modern-day Ghana. In 1896, it was placed under forcible control by the British Empire, and uh, the Ashanti had a golden stool that was very sacred to them. Here's a picture of it. And this golden stool was about 18 inches by 24 inches. It was really small, but it was thought to be given, passed down, and had spiritual elements to it. And so it was a sacred piece of, 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 um, of antiquity for the Ashanti, and you were never to sit on it until the, until the Brits came in. And the Brits came in, and there was a, a governor named Sir Frederick Hodgson, and he just had to sit on this stool. And they kept telling him, please don't sit on the stool, sir. Please don't sit on the stool. And, but he just couldn't help himself. So he sat on the stool. And the Ashanti rebelled, and 3,000 people died. Horrible. Over some dude sitting on a stool. Now, you could say, well, it was his fault for sitting on the stool because it was sacred. You could say they overreacted. Whatever you're going to say. Lives were lost because of somebody sitting on a stool. And I think it just goes to illustrate how easy the conflict is in our life to be over little things that are more about preference than they are about priority, and we find ourselves in these things. And I I just have a feeling in a room this size that you guys have experiences at home or at work or with family where you have had divisions because of things that just didn't really matter in the end. Anybody honest out here that had that? Three or four of you guys? Okay. You guys, we're being honest today. So what is it? Why is it? Why do we argue and fight over little things? What do you think? See, I think it has to do with the fact that we put our preferences and and our convictions and, and good things, I mean, these are things that are good, that matter, but sometimes we have a habit of putting our preferences and convictions in a priority spot where they really shouldn't be. I want to just do a little illustration. You're probably wondering, like, what are we building here today, right? We got buckets and, and tables. So I like to think about life like this. I think all of us, whether you think about it or not, we have these buckets of priorities in our life. You have certain things that you consider to be first bucket issues. Certain things to be second and third bucket issues. And what can happen is our preferences, the things that we find convictions over or that we really get excited about in life, find ourselves inching up further and further into the first bucket. And we begin to build our life on these things, and we begin to find our identity in these things. So, for instance, uh, and you guys are going to all fall on somewhere here, but somebody in their first bucket, they may be really into politics. We all know that the two things you should talk about at a family picnic are religion and politics, Right? So politics are something that a lot of us are really into. It's important, paying attention to what's going on in our nation and understanding these things. Who are we electing as leaders? But a lot of us, politics are very, very foundational for us. They are one of our big preferences and convictions. And so this becomes a first bucket issue. Some of us, it's traditions. And what I mean by traditions, I don't mean our Sunday night traditions that we do at five o'clock that you all should come to. (laughs) I mean, the traditions of your family, the traditions of maybe your faith tradition, the tradition of um, some of the things that you do. And so those things become, no, no, this is, this is the way we've always done it. Well, is it the right way? Well, I'm not sure, but we still do it this way, right? You guys ever heard that before? Some of us have said it. For some of us, it's our hobbies, right? These are first bucket things. Who are you? You ever ask somebody that? When I lived in Missouri, I'd say, hey, what do you who, who are you? What do what are you about? And maybe, hey, my name is Drew, and you know I work for such and such, or I'm a pastor over here in Colorado. You're like, hey, who are you? Hey, my name is Drew, and I mountain bike, and I ski, and I snowshoe, and I hike, right? Occasionally, I go to Moab and ride ATV. Whatever it is, like right? we identify ourselves by our hobbies. And then we get to some other second bucket issues, and, and, and there's still priorities for us, right? Like, we think about culture. Like, what are our views on culture? What are our views on different things, like marriage? What are our views on, on um, unemployment, right? There's all kinds of these different things that, that fit into there. Um, we think about money. What, 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 you know, how do we feel about money? Is money good? Is money bad? Is money evil? What do we do to earn money? We think about things like our passions. You know, you might be passionate in life about... Um, rescuing dogs, right? You, know, might, be, you might volunteer at an animal rescue. You might be passionate in life about helping those who um, are, are, have the le- are the least of these. You might be passionate about barbecue, <laughs> right? Whatever you're passionate about, it becomes these things we become known for. And then we have trends, like the, little, the jeans with the tight elastic on the bottom. You guys know what I'm talking about? You'll never see me in those, just so you know. But I, you know, like stonewashed jeans are back in, right? Those kind of things. So trends, like whatever the trend is, some of us get really into trends, right? Some of us are really into fashion or cars or whatever it is. And then mixing a little church life into that mix, right? Another good topic for debate when you're with family. But church life, like, like how do we do baptisms and what church do you go to? And do you guys sing modern songs or do you go more like the old school style or, you know, that kind of stuff? And... and I think a lot of us resonate with this, right? Anybody see something they're really into in this list? Again, you guys are super honest today. So these are things we begin to we build a foundation up on and we begin to identify ourselves as these things, right? And we we begin to say, what kind of person are you? Well, I'm this political affiliation, or I'm really into this hobby, or I'm really into this type of cultural lifestyle, whatever it is. And that becomes begin our identifier. But let me ask you a question. What happens? When you experience someone who doesn't agree with you on a foundational issue. Well, now you've you've built your life on these things. And so when you don't agree with somebody foundationally, it shakes your identity. And you begin to think, I cannot be in a relationship with this person. We can't be friends. We can't be in a Bible study. We can't hang out together. We can't go to a Rockies game because maybe you don't see the same as I do politically or, or you know, you're not into the same things that I'm into or you grew up in a different church background than I grew up in. So we can't be friends. But what happens when you're in life with people and you're doing community with people and it's family or it's church and all of a sudden the group that you think you've built your relationships on that you hold to the same things, somebody changes their mind where you find out that they really aren't as passionate about you as you think. What happens when they don't see politics the same way you do? What happens to the, the bricks? I'm not going to do it. <laughs> I was warned. It's going to just make a mess. I want to, though. I want to. But the bricks are all going to tumble down. And our lives are going to be just full of rubble. And a lot of us feel that. A lot of us have a lot of rubble behind us because the foundational things we built our identity on, we built our community on, they fell apart. And now we are living in a place where behind us is relationships and careers and friendships and passions and hopes and dreams that have been broken into small pieces. And it's because we put our preferences in the wrong priority. So this morning, we're going to look at a passage in Romans chapter 12 that I think is going to help us to get our minds around. What does life look like? How do we do this right? Because part of us it has to go, is this just the way that life is, right? We live in a broken world, a sinful world. This is just the way that life is. So I'm going to build my bricks, and then I'm going to have them come right down, and I'm going to cycle through broken relationships, and I'm going to cycle through hurtful situations. Or is there something better out there? Romans 12 tells us there is something better. So grab your Bibles if you have them. Let's look at Romans 12. If you were with us last week, we started in Romans 12, and we saw that Paul basically tells us the first 11 chapters of Romans that God has done all these, these beautiful things for us, that he's rescued us, he's saved us, he's set us free, leads us into the life being led by the Spirit. And then he's, in chapter 12, Paul says that actually what happens now is God brings us together as one community. So we're people with different backgrounds, people with different interests, we're people with, with all of these things are very different, but we come together. We're brought together as one. And so we see in the first part of Romans 12, Paul says, look, you guys need to renew your minds. Notice what he said in verse two. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, right? So the idea is like, what is God's will for our life? And God's will for our life is not to separate because we're different, but it's to join together as one church. So he writes to this group of, of Roman Christians, half of them are Jews, Who hate the Greeks, and half of them are Greeks who hate the Jews. And Paul says, Hey guys, I know you hate each other. Guess what? You got to serve each other. Because as you serve each other, you're going to find that you're going to begin to love each other. And so it's this beautiful picture of how we need to stop looking at all these things as things that divide us, but start looking for the thing that unites us. And we get to uh, our section today in Romans chapter 12, verse 9, where Paul starts to tell us something even more bizarre. And it is about the way that we're supposed to love people that don't look like us, that don't act like us, that think differently than us, that are from different places than us, but yet we're supposed to love them the same. Notice this, Romans 12, I love this text. Romans 12, verse 9. If you have a highlighter, a pen, you should star verse 9 because it's so good. He says this, let love be genuine. Somebody say genuine. Genuine. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. And show hospitality. So Paul gives this picture of what it looks like to now live in this new church with people that don't look like you or don't act like you. And you know one thing I don't see in this list? And tell me if I missed it. Does anywhere Paul say love them based on their preferences? Do you guys see that anywhere? It may be in a different translation. We'll check with Darren later. I mean, really, is, is there anything in there about love people that have the same convictions as you? you? Well, there there could be if it's about loving your brother in Jesus. Notice what he's saying here. He's he's, he's saying love everyone because of Jesus. Now, now I want to dig into this a little bit here, but he, he's challenging this whole bucket picture, right? He's not saying love people who have the same first bucket priorities as you have. He's saying love your brothers, and he says with this: Look first here. Let love be genuine. I love that word, genuine. It's really fun to, to go. Just a little secret, if you guys go to biblehub.org, you can click enter Len, and you can type in any Bible verse, and you can see it in the Greek or the Hebrew, and you can click the button, and it'll take you in, and you can see what that word means. So it's kind of fun to geek out on the Greek sometimes. This word for genuine actually means unhypocritical or unfeigned. That's a word we don't use much, or sincere. Somebody say Sincere. Like When you see a letter and somebody says, sincerely, Drew, like you think I'm being genuine, right? That's this picture. Let your love be genuine. But I also think, and some of your translations may say, be unhypocritical. And I think that's really where we need to look at, see this picture of genuine. Now think about this. When you look at the biographies of Jesus, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you're going to see that Jesus uses the word hypocrite a lot. And sometimes it makes you uncomfortable. You, You read it, and you're like, man, Jesus, like... That's pretty hardcore. You call somebody a hypocrite in Denver in 2023. We're fighting, right? Like, we're gonna. It's gonna be a fight, you know. And hopefully George Smith's close, and I, you know, he can help me. But it, it's gonna be a fight. But it was interesting. Jesus uses the word hypocrite um, seven times just in Matthew 23 alone. So, what do you think of when you hear hypocrite? You think of someone who who says one thing but does another, right? Or someone who judges you for something you do, but behind the scenes they do it too. The word hypocrite actually, which really, this is really fun, uh, it actually means actor. Somebody say actor. actor. Actor or stage player. So in Greek theater, actors wore masks. Here's a picture of one. You can actually buy this online for like $19.99 if you guys want one. Um, but, but in those days, the actors would wear masks, right? And so these actors would wear these, these stage masks, and it was um, a figurative mask. So they were playing a character. And so the word uh, hypocrite in the Greek meant actor, and so when Jesus calls somebody a hypocrite, what he's calling them is he's saying, don't act, stop acting. Like when he calls out the religious leaders in Israel and he says, you guys are being hypocrites because you tell everybody that you need to honor God, but you only honor God with your lips. It's like, you're being a hypocrite. He's saying, you're being an actor. Stop acting. Stop acting like you're someone you're not. And so... When Paul says this, let your love be genuine, he's saying that it needs to be a love that is sincere, that's unhypocritical, a love that's authentic, and a love that takes off the mask. And I think one of the things we can pull away from this is this that genuine love doesn't pretend or project. I think a lot of the life we see people pretend and project, and in, in, in that sense, they're being a hypocrite, they're putting on a mask, they're acting, they're playing a part. What do you call someone who's acting? You call them fake, don't you? Like you ever have a friend, right? And you're like, "Man, they're acting. They were your friend, but all of a sudden they're trying to run with another crew at school." And you're like, "Oh, man, that person's so fake. They are fronting so hard." Right? You guys ever, see, you know, I'm dating myself, right? Early 2000s. Class of 2000, what what? So, but seriously, right? Like people are are pretending. They're acting. They're putting on this this, um, this facade. So you start a new relationship and you think, man, I need to be like that person. You start a new job and you think, well, they expect me to be this way. You show up to church and think, I need to act like I don't have any issues. I got to act like we have it all together. Hey, forefront, when you walk in here, please don't act like you have it together because we're all a mess, right? <laughs> we are all a mess, saved and redeemed by Jesus. And so Paul's saying we, we don't need to pretend. See, I think we all have this natural desire to be liked and because of that, we try to we either pretend or we project. We, we put these things out there, and so we end up pretending like we are the person that the other people want us to see, and the problem is we never really open up. We don't experience true community, and then when we get faced with the reality of somebody starting to get a read on us, we get uncomfortable, don't we? And what do we do? We do the old Irish goodbye, right? We just leave. We don't even say anything. We just leave. Or we turn it around on other people, and, and we make them feel bad. I, I think I told you guys the story one time I was with, I went to Campus Crusade. We were part of Campus Crusade in college, and I went to a leadership development, and I just felt like I was acting, and I felt like a, I was being a hypocrite, and I just snuck out the back door. I was <laughs> just like, sorry guys, I'm not ready yet. I, I've got to go, and I'm sure they were like, where's that guy at? He, he seemed really sharp. Yeah, like it was all fake, you know, and I think we've done that, right? We've all done the fake thing. That's pretending, and what Paul was saying is pretending is not genuine. But Paul also says here that we shouldn't be, we should be genuine. I think it also means that we don't project. Now, this is an interesting one because I think we all do this without realizing it sometimes, but we project onto other people, right? Or we project our opinions or our preferences on other people. So what happens is we assume others share the same beliefs. So what could happen at a church is you walk in and you look around and you assume people in that church hold the same views that you do, right? Right? You walk in, you're like, oh, this is a, a, a biblical preaching church, so this church is going to have certain traditions. This church is going to have certain cultures. This church may have a certain view on politics. And you're like, okay, I'm going to project that. I'm not even going to ask the question because I'm going to assume. And then when you start getting in the community with people and you realize that they don't, you're like, oh, that church over there. I'm going to leave them a bad Yelp review, and I'm leaving, right? Please leave nice Facebook reviews too, right? Those are, those are always good. But that happens We project. Another thing we do is sometimes we project that uh, we assume that others have the same level or ability as we do. So we think that we're as passionate about the same things. And then when we find out that we're not, we walk away. Or we assign emotions or feelings onto somebody else, which has happened so many times. And this can be really challenging in the church because we put our preferences in the wrong bucket. And so we walk into church and our, our preferences are in the wrong bro- bucket and the things that we foundationally built our lives on aren't the things that matter most to God and yet we divide over them and have conflict over them. So what's Paul's solution? What's Paul's solution to broken relationships and conflicts because of priorities? Paul's solution is take off the mask and check your priorities at the door. I love what Augustine says. Augustine, he was a 4th century bishop to Northern Africa in Hippo. And Augustine says that our problem isn't necessarily that we love the wrong things. It's just that we love them in the wrong order, right? And so these can all be good things, but when you love them in the wrong order, they can lead you to the wrong place, and you can have the wrong foundations. And you will no doubt argue and fight and have conflict with people because you've got the wrong thing on the bottom or things on the bottom of the foundation. So what do we do? Let me show you what we do here at Forefront as with our elders and our leadership team that I think is helpful. Here's a diagram. It's called Die, Defend, and Discuss. And so what we look at, we say, hey, we have something that we have to juggle here at the church, right? We have to deal with an issue. And and it could be money-related. It could be dealing with a cultural issue. It could be just dealing with an operational situation. And we say, well, what are we all about? What can we defend? And what do we discuss? And so here at Forefront, what we landed on as your elders is that what we die for, it's Jesus. That, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He's the son of God who, rose from the grave, who, who came out of heaven, lived a perfect life, rose from the, died on the cross, and rose from the grave. That the Bible is trustworthy. That it's reliable. That it's God's word. That God created the church full of broken people to be the body of Jesus, to take the message of Jesus to the world. That it's the Holy Spirit that changes lives. These are the things that we're gonna die over. Now, we'll defend things, We'll defend our views on things. We'll defend our views on Scripture. But then we want to leave everything else up to be discussed. Because if you walk in and you want to discuss, well, how important is politics in a local church? Let's talk about it. But if you walk in and you say politics is in your die bucket, well, then this may not be the best church for you. Because you're going to find people that we want Jesus to be in the number one bucket. Does that make sense, guys? And so I think for us, we have to start to think about where do these bricks go? Right? We have to be real with ourselves in light of the gospel. And notice what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He says this He says, I appeal to you by the name of Jesus that you all agree that there be no division. How much division? No, no division. That's interesting. How can we, as people with different preferences, have no division? Well, it's because we change the foundation of what we're built on to Jesus. See, reality is if we can change the foundation of what we're built on to Jesus, then all of these things can set on Jesus. And then you know what happens when somebody says, well, I don't believe the same way you believe about that situation? It's okay. I can pull that brick out, and it's still going to stand because Jesus is that big. The Bible said he is the cornerstone that our lives and our churches and our faith is built on to change the foundation that we're built on. And then guess what can happen? We can work through every conflict. We can work through every bad situation because we can discuss it. So I think one of the things that God wants to challenge us when we look at Romans 12 is we have to say, where do we put our preferences? What bucket do they go in if they're built on Jesus? And the reality is, you guys, if you're really into politics, I think it's a, it could be a great thing. But it's probably a second or third bucket. It's probably not a first And I think the tradition that you grew up in, very important, was probably a second or a third bucket. And so we have to start going through these things and figuring out, okay, well, we're going to put these things that we're, we're really passionate about, and, and uh, you know, maybe this is a, a second button issue, or hobbies, they go on a second button, and third culture, it's something we put in the third because we're trying to understand it, and our passions, well, we all know passions can change with what we had for dinner, so let's put that in the third bucket, and money, we all know money can change if you live in Denver really quick, so let's just go ahead and put that in the third bucket, and church life, well, that's, I think that one's important, right? Let's think about that, trends, third... Let's put church life in a second. And what does that mean? What's left over? (laughs) Who's left over? Jesus. Jesus. And you know what that means? When Jesus is the first bucket, that means that we don't have to divide over anything. Because these can be discussed and defended with grace and with love. I think... This is the picture of what it looks like to live as the church, to be genuine. So I want to ask you guys, what this week, as we think about, we're going to welcome Center Church in here, and we're going to welcome this new family into our family, and we have to think about what are some things that we've got in our first bucket that we probably need to move to second or third, because they're going to cause us from being able to love on this new community that we're bringing in. So I think it's something we really need to to stir on. So notice this. Paul says, let your love be genuine, sincere, and authentic. And then notice what this produces. Look back at verse 9. He says this, let your love be genuine, abhor what is evil, and hold fast to what is good, or to cling to what is good. Now, what's interesting is the word abhor, that's a weird word. It's only used once, once in the Bible right here. This is the only time it's ever used. And to abhor something is to express a strong feeling or horror or, uh, of horror or bitter hatred. So think of something you abhor, okay? I mean, is this something you hate? Like the idea is like Paul wants us to hate sin. So what are the things that you hate? Like anybody else hate rush hour traffic on I-25? Right? Anybody else hate opening a bag of chips that you bought in the mountains and it's all air? And you just like can't get your fingers, you know what I'm talking about? You got to get like a knife. Trying to find your like cowboy buddy who's got a knife to open the bag, right? Or how about this? Anybody else just hate Nickelback? Nickelback songs? (laughs) I actually like Nickelback. I'm just kidding. They're just easy to pick on. But like we have things that we hate, right? We abhor, right? Like I don't like Brussels sprouts or whatever it is, right? We all have these things. Well, to cling is another word, because to cling means to glue or to cement or to join. Somebody say join. So when we cling to something, we're joining together. Like when my, when my kids were little and we'd walk in the store and it was all this noise, they'd just grab onto my leg, right? They'd just cling on my leg, you know? And so this picture is like Paul is saying, hate what is evil, like hate it, hate sin. Because sin destroys lives and cling to what is good. And what's good, guys? Who's good? Jesus! Who's good? I just like doing that. That's fun. <laughs> cling to what is good. Hold fast to what is good. Now, now here's the challenge though. I think we have is believers. We are often known for what we hate more than what we cling to, aren't we? And it may, it's not us, you know, but, I mean, it's just in general. There's been a lot of Christian groups who are known for what they hate. They're not really known for what, they're, what they love. They're not known for what is good. A number of years ago, I came across the Westboro Baptist group. I don't know if some of you have heard about them. Here's, they'll stand out and they'll picket all kinds of stuff and concerts and funerals and all these things. And basically, they'll say, America is doomed. God hates you. And it's because of the sins of American lifestyles. And, and I actually was out in an outreach event and we came across these people and it was just, it was ugly. They had little kids holding these signs up. It was just, it was really ugly. And I was thinking to myself, man, like, this is a hate group. This is a group that people know because they hate. Nobody knows what they think is good. Like, I don't, even, I don't know. I, I don't consider this to be a church, right? They're, they're not. This is just a group with an initiative. But I think Christians have been known, hey, we hate this. We hate certain lifestyles. We hate these certain things. And we stand on these soapboxes. At the same time, there's all this other stuff going on in our lives that we don't even look at, right? Because we are being hypocrites. We're wearing a mask. And Paul says, that's not genuine love. Genuine love is not wearing this mask. Genuine love is not being known for what you hate. Now, should we hate the things that are against God? Yes, we should hate sin because sin destroys. God is very clear. There's a lot of things in his word that we need to stay away from. He he talks about we need to kill sin. We need to fight sin because sin can wreck marriages. It can destroy relationships. It can destroy futures. But he doesn't stop there. He says we need to cling and hold fast to what is good. And this is the, the, this picture that I think we're seeing here. Psalm 145 verse 9 says this, that the Lord is good to all and his tender mercies are over all the, his works. And so this idea is like he's calling us as the church to be clinging to what is good. And by as we cling to what is good, we can focus on loving one another and showing the world that we're not all about what we hate. We're about the goodness of God in Jesus. So you think a genuine love pursues what is best for the people in your life. And you have to ask yourself that question. If you look at the way you treat other people, are you pursuing what is best? You can hate the evil. You can hate the sin. They say hate the sin, not the sinner. You can hate the sin, but are you pursuing what's best? Notice how Paul explains it in verse 10. He says, Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation, constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. What does that sound like to you? Sounds like family, doesn't it? I mean, look at all that stuff he's saying. It says, like, love them like your family. Outdo one another in the way you're loving them. Be patient with them. Pray for them. Be hospitable. Help your brother and your sister. Sounds like family, doesn't it? Now, think about your family. Some of y'all are like, oh, my family. But. You might have a crazy uncle or aunt or sister or brother, but you still love them. And the reality is you get with your family and it's messy and your family's not perfect, but you get together around the table, around the meal or for a graduation or just for a hangout and you want what's best for those people, don't you? You're like, man, you may not be living the way I want you to live yet, but I want what's best for you. I don't want you to experience sadness or pain or any of these things. You want what's best for them. And this is the picture that Paul is giving us. He wants us to want the best for your church family and to be involved in their lives. And so you live it out. You show them your love because you're committed to walking through all things with them. Unfortunately, sadly, this isn't experienced by that many people. There was a study recently done. It found that um, there's some really scary numbers when it comes to loneliness they found out that 58% of Americans, you guys read this study, 58% of Americans experience extreme loneliness throughout the week. Six out of 10 people that you know, some of them are here, that are walking through extreme loneliness, who don't have people in their life, who don't have regular community, don't have friendships. And that there has been a number of studies done to figure out, well, what does this do? What, how does lonely... Do you know being lonely affects your health? I think it does. Like... We talked before, like, if you don't brush your teeth for a year, bad things happen, right? Your teeth fall out, you get heart disease, you can get cancer, all these things. If you don't spend time with people, it's the way that you've been wired. You want to know, well, why why can't I just live on my own in a shack in the woods like Jeremiah Johnson? Like, that was cool for two hours of a movie. Imagine how lonely he was, right? Like, they talk about loneliness. Notice what loneliness produces. It produces obesity, smoking, physical inactivity, depression, and and anxiety. It's associated with a 50% increase in dementia. Loneliness can lead to Alzheimer's and dementia. uh, Loneliness is associated with a 29% increase in heart disease. And loneliness is associated with 32% increased risk of stroke. So do you want to know what's the best thing for your health? Is it to go to the gym? The gym's important, right? But the best thing for your health is to... Join a group to find community, to find people to do life with. And I think the beautiful thing is that God knows what we need most, and that's why he created the church, because the church is to be the place. That no matter what season you're in, whether you got little kids at home or you're an empty nester, it doesn't matter. No matter you have a thousand friends or just a few, the church is the place to experience that community, because God knows that we need it the most for our health, for our physical health, for our mental health, for our spiritual health. And so notice what Paul says. He, he, he talks about this genuine community and what it looks like in verse 15. He says this, that we need to learn to rejoice with those who rejoice. And we need to learn to weep with those who weep. And we need to learn to live in harmony with each other. Why? Because you need somebody to rejoice with you. When you get good news, you can't just talk to your cat. It's weird, right? When you get good news, you need to rejoice with somebody. When you have a day that you need to just cry, you need somebody to cry with. You need to live in harmony with people. This is what you need. So Paul says, repay no one with evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. It means think about what's best for people. And then if possible, so far as it depends on you, you can only control what depends on you. Live peaceably with all. You see that picture? That's a picture of putting other people in a place where I can love them, even when they're different than me. So Paul's saying that a genuine love commits to journey through life together. It doesn't commit to be friends until one of our bricks falls down, and then I'm going to talk bad about you behind your back. Genuine love commits to work through everything together because our foundation is Jesus. And this can transform the way we live. The reality is, guys, you you can find community in a lot of places. You can find it in a CrossFit gym. You can find it in a running group, hiking groups, all kinds of cool Facebook groups. You can find community in all of these really cool places, but are those people going to call you when you had a loss in the family? Are those people going to go visit you in the hospital? Are those people going to rejoice with you and weep with you and live peaceably with you? You have to ask that question. Because Jesus is showing us here that the church is what God has created. The church is plan A, and there is no plan be. And yes, it's messy, and yes, it's full of people who don't think like you do politically maybe or think like you with the, you know, guys don't wear the same, your hair the same way or, you know, the same kind of trends, but the reality is, guys, that we all are centered on Jesus. And it's beautiful. It's beautiful. I want to I close with a story. Here is a, um, here's a picture of two lovely ladies... Uh, named Brenda and Jocelyn, who are down at the Land of Hope with Oscar. Where's Oscar at? He's running somewhere. I don't know. He's back there. All right, there he is. He's back there hiding. So um, that's Oscar's daughter, Olive, in the middle. Isn't she cute? She's so sweet. She's seven. And so there's Brenda in the red and Jocelyn in, in the white. And Brenda and Jocelyn are on Oscar's team, and they are just beautiful souls and so sweet. But when I met them, Oscar had shared with me that they came from very difficult pasts. Both of them uh, were living in, one of, Brenda was living in a trash dump and um, Jocelyn was living in one of the cities close by and they both were into prostitution. And they both had just been living very difficult lives and they both knew each other from that trade. So they were rescued, praise God from that. They came to know Jesus, praise God from that. They both found their way to the land of hope where the Oscar could spend time with them and teach them, praise God for that. And so they started serving together and they started working together, but they seemed to always be fighting. And they were always fighting because they knew each other's past. And how, e- how many of you know it's so easy to be judgmental when you know where someone came from, especially if you've been from there? And so there was this, and there's this tug and this battle and this fight where they continued to argue and fight and have division until so one day they realized that we're fighting over all of our preferences. We're fighting over our judgy pasts. But you know what we have? We have Jesus together. This is a picture of their families having dinner together. To realize that, yeah, we're not the same. We don't like the same things. We have different leadership styles. We prefer different things. But you know what our lives are built on? It's built on the rock of Jesus. And because of that, I love you and we can do life together and we can be the church for what it looked like for us if we began to think about our relationships and our friendships that same way that you walk in these doors and you walk into a life group or you walk into our community and say you know what i yeah i have these things about me i'm not going to stop loving sports i'm not going to stop loving hiking or playing golf or whatever it is but you know what i love more than all of that Jesus and we can be family together if Jesus is our rock in our center. So next week when center church comes in and they become a part of this family and we start doing groups together and doing life together and hanging out, there's going to be people you don't know how they, what they think about politics. And there's going to be people you don't know if they root for the chiefs or not. And there's going to be, hopefully they do, but there's going to be all kinds of people with different views. Let's just make the decision now that we're not going to divide, but we're going to come together and unite, because we're reunited on Jesus and Jesus alone. It's going to be beautiful. Forefront, would you pray with me?